Welcome to Post Break. My name is Chris Peterson. I'm the board secretary of the TNYA. This is our weekly discussion of all the forces affecting our industry right now. And today's topic is creative collaboration in a virtual world. And now I'd like to introduce our moderator, longtime PNYA member, VP of Studio Services at HBO, who is also a company member, HBO, Ben Baker. Thank you, Chris. Um, it's been a while since I've done one of these panels. Uh, before I introduce uh, everyone that we've got speaking today, um, uh, as we kind of went into um, this whole work from home situation, um, and uh, you know, I was talking with a lot of people, and um, we, I was talking about concepts like virtual machines and working virtually, and um, you know, I got a lot of questions. And so, when um, the education committee started to put together the post break series, I said I really would like to do something um, on virtualization of the software that we all use and what that means and then other ways of collaborating and the ways that um, people can collaborate in this work from home situation. So I um, put my feelers out. We've got some great speakers today. Um, I'll introduce them. Marjorie Sachs is from Adobe. Bruce Long is from Bebop and Marcy Jastro is from Evercast. Um, these three companies offer, you know, a range of um, different solutions that we'll uh, talk about today. What's interesting is that, um, you know, as I've been discussing with our panelists, um, you could use one, two, or all three of these in concert. Um, they, each product can be used in isolation or um, extended into each other to create a whole kind of environment for you. And I thought it would be very interesting. I've asked um, our speakers today to really, um, you know, pitch the talk towards our individual members. It's one thing everyone on the panel, you know, deals with large enterprise studio clients all the time. But I, I think as I have, and with my background, and I have talked to people about using VMs and virtual machines and putting software into those and then using that as a collaboration basis. You can tell people kind of go, well, that's okay for you. You work for a very large enterprise company, but what do, you know, what does the individual do? And, you know, I, I chose um, these three speakers representing the companies because the, the, these products are very in reach of everyone today. We'll be focusing particularly on editorial, on uh, picture editorial, but um, the philosophy can be extended to all um, types of different operators, graphics. Um, audio is still a bit kind of homebound and um, you know, you need to have speaker placement, but uh, I've found personally, I've had a great amount of success with um, editorial being virtualized and um, graphics and, um, and even color, you know. So um, without further ado, we'll get into it. I'd like to start with Marjorie. Marjorie, can you tell us a bit about yourself? You're, um, you're in LA in um, Adobe's uh, Hollywood Center, um, directly facing the industry. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about yourself? So um, I am working on the Hollywood film team um, as a software quality engineer with Premiere. Um, I kind of came into Adobe in a very unique way. Before I joined, I was an assistant editor for many years at Rock, Paper, Scissors. And um, we were on Final Cut and we were just kind of getting frustrated with them. And I think this was 2008. So we called up Adobe and we heard that they had software called Premiere and they jumped at this opportunity. So it's kind of one of the first uh, customer engagements. 
And I literally had a team of like two developers and an engineer sitting right outside the edit bay who were writing code and giving me patches like on the fly just to make Premiere, you know, we're finding all these bugs and they're writing these features. And it was a really unique experience. Um, and now, you know, I've tapped in touch with them and it's kind of just, they said, we're going to start up this Hollywood film team. We would love for you to join us. So um, that's what I've been doing. Um, and I joined, um, you know, I wanted to find a, like a lot of ways to, you know, as a former assistant, always looking for ways to make workflows more efficient. And so our biggest challenge was like, how do we uh, work for make long form uh, work better in Premiere? And so we recently came out with a new feature called Productions, which I will touch on as we continue this call. But um, yeah, that's just kind of my history. Bruce, uh, Bebop. Uh, Bebop's been around for five years now, but I'm sure that your business has accelerated greatly in the last three months. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, thank you, Ben. So um, I'm Bruce. I'm from uh, Bebop Technology, and uh, we are the best kept secret in Hollywood. I think we didn't uh, anticipate having this global pandemic changing our world so dramatically, but if we had it to do over, I think we would skip the pandemic and, and stay on our path. But that, that really wasn't an option. Bebop was really, and I just want to underscore this, Bebop was created to empower creatives, period. I, I have a background as a creative, although I've done my, my tour of duty as a suit. And I, I realized early, early on that the matter of have and have nots has a lot to do with the hardware. And that working in these post facilities for so many years of my life, as Marcy has and as many of the people on this panel have, I realized we spent a lot of time making sure that the leases got paid in the summer and the people were laid off. And that never sat well with me. It always was a personal problem for me to have to have these ongoing three, five year leases and these giant fixed overhead costs and, and not be able to maintain my staff because everybody knows our business is about the people. It's never been about the equipment and everybody has the same equipment. So, when I had a chance with my partner, Dave Benson, to take a leap out of the brick and mortar world and into cloud, as scary and weird and at the time five years ago, irrational as it seemed, it was a no brainer because I cared about people more than I cared about machines. And I cared about creative people the most because what they do cannot be replaced. You can't just swap an editor and get the same cut. You can't just swap a colorist and get the same look. You'll get a different look and it might be creatively valid, but it'll be different. And I really, really cared about empowering creatives wherever they were, whether they were in Los Angeles or whether they were in Borneo. I, I've, uh, I didn't grow up in Los Angeles. I had no members of my family that were in the movie business. So I paid my dues and I climbed fence after fence. And it was really frustrating that I didn't feel like a meritocracy. And what I love about this change right now and what we are enjoying at Bebop is really a meritocracy. The people that are keep working are are required. The editors are required. The colorists are required. The talent is a requirement to deliver that project. Everything's not going to be automated and AI is not going to make all those creative decisions. So Bebop is really exclusively about taking people that have been working in large offices or working in small environments and flipping them into an environment that's absolutely professional and 100% secure. So Bebop has workstations in the cloud that you can connect to with a really teeny internet connection. That's the first thing you have to get right is having a big internet connection is expensive. 
and everybody that where they live doesn't have access to a big internet connection. So Bebop runs on a little teeny 20 megabit internet connection, the same as probably bigger, uh, excuse me, probably smaller than you have on your cell phone. The second thing is we have found that collaboration is what you need when you're working alone in your home. And I think that's probably a universal right now. We never anticipated everybody experiencing at the same time how lonely and difficult it is to collaborate when you're all by yourself on a computer. But we found that out five years ago. So five years ago, we've been building collaborative tools that allow you to have participatory sessions, but completely secure. So we have this thing called OTS, which is, stands for over the shoulder. And it allows you to watch another person's session. So Marjorie and I, I'm sure at some point, will be on a session together. And Marjorie representing the Adobe partnership with Bebop will be working on her edit, on her sequence. And she'll go, you know what? I don't remember if the director needed me to have that, that frog jump onto the scene after the door closed or before the door closed. So I'm just going to send an email to that producer or that director, whoever the case may be, and I'm going to get them on the session with me. By the way, everybody that joins that session is free. Bebop costs maybe 100 bucks a month, and then you have your to 200 bucks a month, and then you've got your cloud infrastructure, which is maybe 500 bucks a month. So you end up spending less than you would on, a, on an avid rental, if, as it were. But the bottom line is, you can, from anywhere you are with a small internet connection, operate completely securely in any public cloud, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, doesn't matter. And you can operate with all the tools you've always used. Microsoft Adobe, excuse me. <laughs> On Microsoft, we have Adobe software. We have Maya, the Autodesk software, all the graphics software you're used to. All the software that you're used to pretty much is on Bebop. So that's a quick summary, Ben, of, of Bebop and, and what we're experiencing and why. Um, I'm going to throw over to Marcy now um, from Evercast. Now, Marcy, um, members who were on the post break two weeks ago actually heard about uh, Evercast uh, through one of our editors that we interviewed, Andy Weissbloom, um, a very great uh, New York editor, was talking how he had used it in collaboration, which was a nice kind of lead into this talk. But do you want to tell us a little bit about Evercast? I'm going to give you a little background on me, and then I'm going to take you into the journey with Evercast. Um, essentially, um, I've been in post-production for 23 years and have worked in pretty much every major post-production facility in the city. So whether that was um, modern video film, Technicolor, Laser Pacific, um, I have been in and around post-production facilities my whole career. Um, and I made that choice. I could have, I, at some point in my career, I could have made the choice to go onto the shows and be a visual effects producer, or I could go and be in, in of service to these shows. And I chose to go in the post-production route because I felt like, number one, at the time, there were no women doing it. Um, and it was highly technical. But number two, I thought that it was um, more interesting than then rallying, you know, oftentimes when you start as an assistant and moving up and moving up, you, you don't really get the breaks that you need. And I really just wanted to work on multiple shows and be able to find a lot of different um, areas to work in. So cut to a couple of years ago, I was at Technicolor, I was head of sales. 
Um, and um, at the same time, I was looking at virtual reality and all the tools that went around XR. And I realized that maybe virtualization and virtual reality will be our focus and our future. And so I thought, and Game Engine might be our focus in our future. And I thought, you know, and I should probably learn this and I should probably understand it because at some point it's going to infiltrate post-production. So I did, Technicolor asked me to run their um, immersive media center and learn as much as I possibly could around um, mixed reality, augmented reality and virtual reality. And it was quite interesting when you take a step out of Hollywood and you, and you go into this world of development and different people using different tools to do different things. And you think in your world of post-production, you're in this walled garden of many, 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 many creatives doing many, many different things. But there's a whole world out there that you don't even realize the different types of creatives that are doing other types of things. So that was a real eye-opener. And, um, you know, virtual reality and XR didn't really take off the way that we thought it would. And I was, you know, feeling a little disenchanted and wanted to do a change. And, um, I was home one day and I got a phone call from this editor called named Roger Barton, who is one of the, you know, an A-list editor out there who's cutting lots of things with Michael Bay, um, whether that was Pearl Harbor or whether it was cutting with Jim Cameron on Titanic or um, all the Pearl Har or all the Pirates of the Caribbeans. Anyway, Roger was really looking for work-life balance and not having to globetrot around the world to constantly stay up with production. And he found this um, platform called Evercast, which is a real-time creative collaboration tool that has very low latency um, introduced and so ultimately you can cut in real time and collaborate in real time with whether it's directors producers visual effects artists whoever and wherever um, you want in the creative chain and it was really built by creatives for creatives um, and that's what I liked about it. It was something completely different. It was the virtualization of an editorial bay. It was really looking at how can you stay in LA and not have to, you know, run all over the world, allow people in Hollywood to have some sort of work-life balance and, and ultimately get out of brick and mortar. I feel like we've lived in brick and mortar for a long time and we've had these tools available to us to, to really move into a remote work environment. And I think that at this point, COVID is just one of those things that pushed us to where we were all going and we didn't know it. So um, I just wanted to ask you about Evercast. It's more than just, you know, we can all screen share our screens, right? Yeah. You're, doing, you're doing a lot more than that with, with um, the feeds. Yeah. We're, we're using um, something called EBS, which allows you to stream um, directly in a WebRTC platform. So it is a real-time streaming platform that's coming out of your Avid or coming out of your Premiere system. We are agnostic. Um, we can even come out of Game Engine. Um, but it's not just that piece of it. It's, it's, you're able to record. You're able to draw. You are able to do multiple things within it. So it's not just for editorial. We're doing things like table reading, rehearsals. We're putting it in line with camera. We're putting it in line with Video Village. So once the world does open in about a month and a half or so, um, we're going to be in a position to where 
potentially directors don't even need to be in the same city to direct. Um, they could potentially have a God's eye view with multiple Evercast rooms um, hooked up with cameras. So, you know, the idea is to allow for real-time collaboration in anything. And so, um, while yeah, you can screen share and you can screen share at 1080p, and an example of something other than editorial is if you want to go to Google Earth, which is something we used to do in VR all the time, and be in headset goggles and be able to travel the world using Google Earth, we can now actually do it in Evercast where we go location shopping. And so what you could do is use your screen share, go to Google Earth, and uh, potentially screen share out all of your locations. And then if you really want to get complicated with it, you can grab a bunch of people who you want rooms to be scanned, and you can go get LiDAR scans of all these rooms, and then put it in a game engine and start building your previs. And this is all allowable through a remote collaboration tool. I wanted to get back over to Marjorie and talk about some artist tools for a second. Um, do you want to tell us about um, productions in um, in Premiere? Because it sounded, I know that there are, you know, a lot of um, indie productions and particularly documentaries that might have a three or four person editorial team. And they are, uh, if I could ask everyone to mute their microphones, that feedback is coming from someone's microphone. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you have a two or three person editorial team on a small documentary, um, you may have then drives, you know, cloned drives around. And I was very interested when we spoke the other day about that application down to that level. Yeah, so with productions, um, we designed it really to work on like network storage, but then COVID happened. And we realized everyone has very creative ways of how they're using this. So we've seen people, um, well, I'll back up and tell you exactly what Productions is. Basically, um, you take all of your projects and you um, break them up into these smaller component projects. So we had a lot of thought that went into this to keep the design very simple. Um, I think you can now think of like each project within the production as a bin. So you, it's very light on the memory and the load of your computer and we're tracking only like what you currently have open. And, um, so then when you have people moving from like shared storage now onto these hard drives, you have to still, you know, you can pass the projects back and forth. Each person would have a copy of the production and then you would just uh, send the projects back and forth. Um, that's how we've seen people using it. We've also seen people, you know, using it. We won't recommend this necessarily, but like uh, VDI to cloud workflow, you know, with Dropbox, um, I'd say use that as your own risk, but, um, it's working well and we've eliminated the um, issue where you have all these duplicate uh, clips coming in your projects when you're sharing sequences back and forth. Um, and that's what really makes productions powerful. Um, also, when you have these smaller projects open, your save and your load time is so much faster and improved. So you really see uh, things uh, improve with that. And then th uh, the scalability, we had uh, Terminator was cut using like a very early implementation of productions and they had, you know, a couple thousand or yeah, thousands of projects and they're a really complicated visual effects workflow and it just worked. It worked really well, it worked seamless. So my team and I for the last year and a half have really been pounding away to make sure this is great. We released it back in April. Um, 
and we have like an overwhelming response to it. It's really helping uh, improve people's workflows. Oh, that's great. Bruce, I know we had a slide from you. I kind of wanted to dive in very quickly into what actually a virtual machine is and what that, what that means entirely. Chris, I don't know whether you can throw up uh, Bruce's slide. Do you want to give us something on that, Bruce? Absolutely. I want to make sure I unmuted in exactly the right moment. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> so thank you for throwing that up, Rebecca. Um, uh, Bebop, as you guys have gathered from the conversation, I hope so far, is a remote solution that allows you to use any computer or anything we call a zero client, which is a, it's a little box that has a plug for a mouse, a plug for a keyboard, and a plug for a monitor, but actually only has very limited Bebop software on it. So we use those to connect to the cloud and we stream exclusively from the cloud to the workstation. So what you're really seeing is a 4K UHD image in, or, or HD or whatever resolution you want. You can have it across multiple monitors, but it's actually coming off the high-speed high storage in the cloud. And we can move it around. As you can see by the diagram, we offer all the clouds and we work very much inside the cloud. So in, inside of the Amazon or Azure or Google, you have block storage and you have object storage. The block storage is what we use for very high speed, very responsive stuff like editing or graphics, visual effects, et cetera. But when you are just storing stuff or you just wanna do very uh, rudimentary processes, it can actually reside on the object storage. And, and unlike when you're on the ground, we move it around a ton. Um, and part of part and parcel of that solution is many of you have a Spera, many of you have Signiant, and if you're going to try to move a big file somewhere, by God, you're going to use that stuff because you trust it and you've used it a long time. For Bebop, we took a different approach. We decided that maybe for big companies like Disney, using a Spera or Signiant is a perfectly good solution. But at some point for an individual, it got tiresome. And if you're on the cloud every single day, like Bebop is, we wanted to make it free. So... The rocket transport, which is an extremely powerful, all you can eat up to the cloud, no matter what your bandwidth is, it, it takes all the bandwidth. All of that is 100% free. And the review and approval processes that we've talked about are totally free. And so what we've tried to do is create an ecosystem in the cloud. And I was actually going to go back to Marjorie for a second. What Marjorie, what, what Adobe has done and what Marjorie was referring to is they've taken the collaborative environment that Avid has been so famous for, inlocking, being able to work on multiple systems with different editors at the same time, and they move that into the Adobe environment. So now, today, everything you've been doing on Avid is pretty much possible on Adobe. Bebop has made the decision to support Adobe as our primary partner. The interesting thing for us that we didn't anticipate is that this experience that everyone working from home would force everyone onto the platform at the same time. And so we didn't know what would happen if two or 300 people came the same day to deploy on Bebop. And the hope we had is that theoretically, if you're in the cloud, we have a thing called the image. And the image is the softwares that you have all the time on your virtual computer, the same as you have on your drive in your home computer. So we always had plugins. We know editors can't just operate with Adobe. They want their plugins. They want their red giant, etc. So 
we have all the plugins, we have all that stuff. And what we did was we standardized everyone's image or we standardized the software that people needed on their computers. So we worked with Adobe, we worked with the plugin companies and it's a bring your own license. So as long as the software you have is on your home computer, we flip a switch and we deploy exactly the same thing you have at home in the cloud with all the software you could possibly need. And we managed to deploy, I think at one point in March, we deployed 300 people in, in 48 minutes. So, <laughs> and, and you could never do that. I, I was very, I worked at Encore Nonlinear and I've had, you know, like Marcy, I'm very proud to say Marcy and I worked together. We, at Technicolor, we had a lot, of, a lot of hardware and a lot of solutions you could flip a switch and turn on and wait for the 20 minutes for it to warm up. And then you'd have the IT team come in and it was a rather elaborate complex matrix of routing and hardware and software and infrastructure. And at Bebop, it's a flip of a switch. It's literally abracadabra, boom, you are editing in the cloud, you are doing nuke in the cloud, et cetera. So I think for us, it was a realization that all these people that need to work from home tomorrow with all these companies like the BBC and the NFL and CBS and NBC Universal that didn't necessarily plan for a pandemic, because I don't think anybody did, was able to flip a switch. And I'm proud to say 800 or 1,000 people are out there working that weren't working in February, are still working on Bebop and in the cloud. And I think all of them, literally all of them, without exception, are working on Saturdays. They're working in the evenings. They're finding their passion again for their work. You know, when you have to go to a place, get in your car, get your coffee, say goodbye to your kids, it's, it's a different experience. And as creative people, and I'm a creative, we're a, little, we're a little childlike, maybe we like our world a little simpler, maybe we want to have our creative notion instantly available to us, we don't want to plow through a set of instructions. So we found Bebop to be a very easy learn. And, and literally of the 2000 people that have gone on to Bebop in the past, 60 days or so, uh, every one of them is working every single day, day in and day out without interruption. So the stability of that thing is probably more than they get on their hardware in their old office. I, 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 I want to throw out a general question now, um, two or three, um, and I know this provoked some discussion when we were kind of uh, talking before, but what are the things that, um, you know, we get a call for a job. What are the things that we need to kind of know and do to kind of bring producers and creative teams along with us in, in working in, these, in this way? That's the beauty of what we did at um, Evercast. Because Roger is a creative and we decided to put it um, to start the, the evolution of it in editorial, um, it allowed the directors and producers to get themselves um, socialized with the idea of remote collaboration. And so when you are thinking about that and you're thinking about preparing um, your remote world, whether that's looking at your ISP, your internet service providers, and hoping you can get great, you know, good bandwidth. It doesn't need to be amazing bandwidth, but you need good bandwidth. You need to know exactly what it is that you're trying to accomplish. You need to know, um, are you finishing? Are you, are you doing um, visual effects reviews? Are you doing review and approve? Are you doing sound approvals? Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And at the end of the day, what are you willing um, 
you know, what are you willing to, to show the people? I think that it's funny. There was an article that was written. Michael Mann was talking about Evercast and this new normal and this new way of working. And it was probably something that would have 10 years ago, 15 years ago, freaked out any, any technology facility out there. Because essentially what he said is, um, you know, in the morning I start my day and I'm ever casting. It's this new thing that we do on a daily basis where we're remote editing. We're calling it ever casting now. And then by noon, the machine crashes and I go downstairs and I get my cup of coffee. Now, anybody in post-production or technology would have a nervous breakdown to have a director say, and it crashes and I go downstairs and I get my cup of coffee. <laughs> I loved it because it, you know what? It's going to happen. The iPhone came out and there's bugs in it and there's things that happen. But the idea that, that people who never would think that they could remote edit, um, edit remotely are now talking about Evercasting just seems phenomenal to me. It's just, I, again, like Bruce, we had, I call it the fire hose moment. Um, when COVID hit, there were three people selling um, and talking to clients. And we went literally from the entire company starting with the sales process to the onboarding process, to the support process, to the billing process. And it was literally all of us doing the same thing at the same time and just bring, making sure that people were getting comfortable with this new normal and what they had to do. But number two, getting people working so that they didn't have to have that anxiety about not getting a paycheck. Marjorie, can I throw over to you? Um, like how do you, you must have, you know, um, first timers who are using other editing systems that are, are looking across. Um, what's, the, what's the best way for them to prepare for, um, you know, for having a look at productions and, and using that? Yeah, I think um, where you want to get started is just deciding on what type of storage you guys are going to be using. Um, that's the number one thing. If you're going to go for the virtual machine route, um, it's incredibly seamless. And I think it's almost like a dream come true that you have all the performance and the flexibility you want, but you then you still have the um, functionality of the project locking and the scalability of it. And then so it's just a seamless workflow. It's not that complicated. Um, it's just a panel in Premiere um, where and it just consists of folders and projects and then your the rest of the UI in Premiere um, remains the same. So that's where you go to create your projects. Anyone can be creating projects simultaneously. Um, everyone can have the same project open at the same time. Also somebody owns that lock. Um, one thing that kind of uh, that I love about productions is if I want to release that lock, I don't have to physically close that project in order to um, give that lock up. So, and then on top of that, the duplicate media, I think saves everyone such a headache. Um, I know like these poor assistant editors at the end of the day, they're constantly going back and, you know, reorganizing projects um, to keep it nice and tidy. But um, yeah, I think it's exciting. And then using it with a service like Bebop is amazing. Um, you just, you still feel like you're right down the hallway from somebody else. And then you add on a service like Evercast and it's like you're literally in the room with uh, whoever you need to be with. So I think 
with productions and you know these other services you're going to be able to like we don't have to dictate like and pick and choose the jobs that you decide to work on people can have a lot more flexibility um they don't have to be in the same location as the entire team you don't have to travel uh, as much so it gives a lot more freedom so marcy in your world for, it, with that construction if you had like a three or four person editorial team each person would have their own Evercast room, is that right? Yeah. And then, uh -huh. and then, and you know, the lead editor could then invite the assistants and the other editors in to see what they're working on. And well, oftentimes, let's take an episodic television show for a moment. Um, you're essentially have normally you have three editors working in tandem, all working on different um, parts of the show, different episodes. And so each one would have their own license and they would invite the showrunners into the room um, when they're ready to do review and approve or potentially a post supervisor could be sitting on a mixed stage or sitting at home, depending upon the situation, and they could do review and approve. And let's say that they're looking for a conform and need to drop in shots. They could easily just move and, and look at the dropping in of shots. So oftentimes the way that we really wanted to sell Evercast was a hor horizontal sell, right? Where you look at a, um, a traditional feature film or a traditional episodic show. And ultimately, yes, it starts in editorial, but it'll move down to sound. Um, we have a lot of people who are actually doing playbacks within Evercast, um, which I don't condone it, but people are doing it. Um, and I don't condone it because we're truly not considered um, sound critical or color critical at the moment. But a lot of people are letting things slide, and so they're going with what they can. Um, and we hoped we actually we do have it on our roadmap to finish to do finishing by the end of the year so we will be doing color critical and sound by the end of the year where we actually feel comfortable with it um but ultimately you know each person has a license they can come in and do table reads they can come in and do production design they can come in and do shoots they can do editorial um, they can pass licenses back and forth. I mean, it's it's not like we're locking it to one person in one room. Facilities, facilities right now are resourcing the licenses where they're putting it in line with um, scheduling. And again, if that's how you want to do it, great. Um, but, you know, really, we we originally saw it as more of the creative tool for the for the creative collaborators and not necessarily the facilities but at this point facilities are loving it too because the ease of use with evercast it is a software solution it's truly software driven if you want to be air gapped or have a breakout box the only thing you need is a video capture card if this is not a complicated workflow to get your head around in some cases, the biggest issue that we run into is just bad bandwidth. And even that, we have within Evercast a way to, up, um, to adjust the streaming and the bit rate of the streaming to, to accomplish better streaming at that point. So I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, you can use as much of Evercast as you want or as little as you want. There's no hard and fast rule at this point. People are using it many different ways. That's why I can't wait to get it out there into the mainstream and see what more people are doing with it. Ben, can I add to that? Yes, go ahead, Bruce. Thank you. So I just wanted to add something because out of kind of respect or out of a, a compliment to Marcy and to Marjorie, when, when I started working in new technology, 
and when all of us started working on new technology. It was something like you get a, a phone call from someone at IBM talking about a supercomputer or someone from Microsoft talking about a solution or an iteration that they have that is just perfect for filmmaking. And they'd come marching into our, what was then Technicolor or Encore facility, and they would just with vim and vigor that they got out of their computer sciences degree. And it would fall flat because they didn't understand what Marcy Jastrow knew. They didn't understand what Marjorie Sachs knew. They hadn't really spent time on motion picture or television sets they don't really understand the workflows of the editors or the assistant editors or what the difference is between them. They don't know what logging means. And so I just wanted to take a minute in this meeting and acknowledge that everyone on this panel <laughs> is one of us, one of you. That everyone here, every single one of us, including the people that you don't see on the screen that are behind the scenes supporting this post alliance event, care about what 3-2 pulled down is care about 24 frames, <laughs> about 30 frames, care about, we actually understand the word sprockets, although that's a part of our past. <laughs> so I sit here and I represent the cloud and the future and all that is whiz bang Jetsons of the world. I am damn proud that I worked in film optical. I supervise on visual effects sets and that I've worked with some of the luminaries in our industry and all I friggin' care about is getting all of you onto the cloud so you don't have to continue to pay dues, you don't have to live in an institutional world, and your creativity knows no bounds. And I wanted to give a compliment to Marcy and a compliment to Marjorie, because where the hell would we be if it wasn't Marcy Jastro talking about Evercast? Those mm -hmm. people who know Marcy, and I do, can tell you she knows her stuff, and Marjorie knows her stuff, and we're never gonna get our industry safe and in a proper workflow without people like Marcy and Marjorie, and I'd like to think me, that give a damn about your workflows, that care about your assistant editors getting able to log, that give a damn about you know, nonfiction and fiction, that understand the beats of a scene, that grew up being mentored by people that cared about the art and not just the ones and zeros. And that was what I wanted to add. I wanted to say thank you, Marcy, and thank you, Marjorie, for taking a step into the future. And those yeah. of us that have made a good living in the old world were very nervous about stepping into this world. And I've been here for five years, and I will tell you, it is a tightrope. It is a tightrope. It is not institutionalized. It is not all baked. We're still figuring it out. And I want you to know, I'm damn excited about it. I, yeah, really I, I, I feel the same way. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you. Because I, I think that, you know, oftentimes people think because we've lived in these large institutions and we've done all of these different shows, we have it all figured out. And you do figure it out in the moment. Nine times out of 10, you have to figure it out because that's what they're paying you to do when you're working in these large facilities. But now we're all living in each of our own private boxes, right? Our own private homes, in our own virtual rooms and doing what we need to do. And ultimately at the end of the day, um, every there's always been a catalyst for change in our world. And it's those moments where that are standout people to get us through those moments when we were going from from film, you know, from film to digital, and oh my gosh, we needed a near set system. How are we going to do that? We built at Laser Pacific one of the best near set systems out there in order to work alongside the people on set. 
And, and I think that this is just another one of those moments. We were all planning on making it to the cloud. There was always a plan to get to the cloud. This just happened a little faster. And it's not that big of a difference once you socialize it and you start working on it. And people start realizing that when you can work from anywhere, your life truly changes. And you're not on the 405 freeway or you're not driving in downtown traffic in New York. I mean, I was driving an hour and 45 minutes a day to work. Why was I doing that? It's ridiculous <laughs> when I can sit on my desk and do the same thing. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's different. And, and I kind of like it actually, you know, after spending four years globe trotting and being in a headset and trying to talk about the future, I'm now living the future the way that it was supposed, it was meant to be lived. And the, and the way that it was meant to be stepped through to the, you know, using it in the right way. So thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that. How do you determine your roadmap for these things? How do you, you know, um, poll your audience, your clients, and and how do you bubble what's important up? And then also, um, this kind of feeds into that question, how have clients used your products in the way you just didn't anticipate? Because I think that's very interesting. Being um, someone myself uh, in a previous job when I worked at Vice, and I was had a team of Adobe people coming through, and they were like, you're doing what with Premiere? You know, we were sound mixing in there, we were doing all the color, the whole thing, you know. I find that's a very interesting um, angle when people do the unanticipated things with your products. Marjorie, do you want to uh, do you want to lead yeah. up with that question? Um, you know, I think like our industry is changing, our customers changing, and our com uh, the competition is changing, and so we're using our knowledge to really power through this and help guide us. And ultimately, um, it comes from customers who use Premiere, and I think. A lot of times um, that can seem like it's falling on deaf ears, but no, we really do hear you really active in social forums and social media. Um, and we want to do our research, uh, you know, in a way that's, uh, you know, driving the market. But um, I think also that um, we've seen people use it, like I mentioned earlier, um, putting a production like in a Dropbox or a cloud workflow. And we've tested it because we knew people would try it, but there's so many people doing it and the media and you can run into syncing issues. So we're really, um, you know, I think that kind of kicked it in gear. So we're um, focusing a lot more on that. Uh, people use the software in so many different creative ways. And I think people uh, in the past, had come up with these very creative workflows in order to make these really large productions actually able to function in Premiere. Um, so productions takes care of all of that headache now. And, um, you know, I was burned so many times by the duplicate media and that was like my number one mission. <laughs> be like, we have to, you know, for many years, it's like this has to be done, done and over with. Um, so yeah, our, the customers drive it. Um, we know people want speech to text. Um, that's a big ask. Um, and we're, you know, doing our research. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things on our roadmap. Um, but yeah, the Hollywood team is really focusing on workflows like everyone here on the call. Great, Marcy. Um, How have people surprised you? Well, um, I will tell you, I got a phone call from a very angry facility. Um, who um, told me that one of their clients was forcing them to buy an Evercast license and how could I do this? And, and what they wanted to do was listen to a sound playback. And 
and how dare I, if this were me, I would never let a client dictate what, what they needed to buy. And I was like, relax, okay, chill out. Um, the, the reality of the situation is, is, you know, we have this product and people are using it in so many different ways. And when it doesn't work for the way that they want it to work, they, they make it work for them. Um, and then they, and, and it's been interesting because the feedback loop was a very important one for me when I first got a, at Evercast because I didn't see that there was a real true feedback loop that I could, I could grab onto. So we quickly implemented the surveys and wanting to see what people wanted inside of Evercast and how it could potentially be their true platform for collaboration. And um, we are slowly working them into the roadmap. And it's really, you know, when 20 clients say they want the same thing, that's when we put it on our roadmap. And that, that's what's exciting because you're actually doing it based on what the clients want, not what, not what, and again, I'll use the insult, you know, institutionalization or the, the big companies, not because they're telling you this is what you have to sell or what you have to create. It is what you want to create for your clients. And Bruce, uh, you must get some weirdo applications of your, um, of VBOC products. I have to be honest. I think that the beboppers are the weirdest of all. I think, you know, we've been living there for five years and we're all creative. So we have, we have used it at concerts. We have actually had multiple ones of us at concerts and, and sporting events. And we have a software that lives inside a bebop that allows everyone that takes a video of the concert to have just by hitting a button, which, which we set up with all internal beboppers. By hitting a button, we get all the versions of everybody's concert footage or their game footage from their home, uh, from their phones. And literally, it, it using artificial intelligence and a little whiz-bang technology, puts it together in a version of the show. And, and we never anticipated that. And our software engineers in India actually created that for themselves and said, hey, try this. And, and what I find so unbelievably gratifying is that every company I worked at, and no disrespect to those of us that worked together, Technicolor did a lot of innovation. Technicolor had 14, I think still has, 14,000 patents in the United States. But innovation was not their middle name. You know, innovation was, was not the everyday yearning. It was not what we thought about every day. All we thought about for the past five years is what will it be like when everybody in the world is on Bebop? And I don't mean literally Bebop, I mean working out in a way that they can be creatively free of the, of the institutional chain that bind us. And, and I, that's why you hear me speaking so, uh, with such great admiration for what Marcy's doing. Because Evercast is a wonderful solution. And the fact that there's Evercast and Bebop and Adobe is embracing the cloud, that Avid is embracing the cloud, that, that, that the Foundry and Nuke embrace the cloud, is really good news. But it doesn't solve the biggest problem we have. And the biggest problem we have is there's not enough work for all the creative people. So what my goal is, and I, I'll say at the, at the end of this session, I started said at the beginning, my goal is to make sure that there's a match between every job and every creative not between the guy in LA and the producer in LA. That's right. In LA, but you don't gotta come here. Mm -hmm. There's enough work if we spread it all around the world and thanks to Netflix and Amazon and Hulu we are. 
If we spread it all around the world, there's more than enough work to go one project to one creative. And that's what it's about. And I will not rest, and the Beepoppers will not rest until we've made that match for all of you. And that is the point. And that's why it's so cool that Evercast is here. That's why it's so important that Marjorie's doing it. That's why it's so awesome that Ben Banker is leading this session and works at a company that doesn't live with boundaries. Their budgets are motion picture budgets on a television show. So they've been, they've been blowing the doors off of one side of the business, and now it's time to blow all the doors off, to open it up all the fresh air and let everybody have a chance to play. Right, Ben? I think I just became a bebopper. <laughs> We're all, we all have that sense of freedom. And bebop, listen, bebop is a staccato form of jazz that knows no boundaries. That's why we chose it. Now, um, we've got 10 minutes left, and we may go a little over if our uh, panelists can do it, but I've got a number of questions here. First one, I will throw to you, Bruce, um, content security. Can you take us through that? Because I've got a lot of questions here about how that works with Bebop. Absolutely, and I'll try to be succinct. Uh, no one on this call, no one on the earth is willing to pay for security. That's a fact of life, and it's something Bebop accepted five years ago. So built into the system is the fundamental Teradici streaming protocol, which is AES-256, which is the same protocol we use for Homeland Security and the CIA. We have dual authentication. All that stuff that you would expect is there to protect your content is there. But let's be real. What was once scary about the cloud is now home. Everybody was like, I can't go to the cloud. When I worked at Technicolor, every studio said, we will not allow our content to go to the cloud. There is not a studio in this town that would even think about saying that because they will be let go from their job. No one can afford to live with the security. My partner, Dave Benson, has a joke he always says when he speaks publicly. Okay, those of you that can secure your network as well as Google, raise your hand. Don't anyone raise your hand. Because none of you can secure it the way Google or Amazon or Microsoft does. So, yeah, security is job one at Bebop. That's where we found the higher ground. We know that entertainment needs it and has to have it. And we're very proud of the fact that we have all of those little corners taped off. We, we, you know, you can't go down out of the cloud as easily as you can go in. And we've spent a lot of time. We've passed all the security for all the studios. You know, there's a, there used to be the MPAA, those of you that are in the the bigger projects and the bigger studio world know the MPAA was where security was written and authorized and we really kind of took our lead from the MPAA group. That's now transitioning to the TPN and Bebop and my partner Dave Benson are sitting there going, okay, if you're working in the cloud, you gotta know how to use the cloud because it isn't how secure is the cloud, it's how secure are your processes. And, and honestly, I can hand it off to the other guys because they know what I'm saying and they can probably put some meat on those bones. I would just say that, um, in, you know, Evercast is studio secure. We have been approved by every studio, um, and we take it very seriously, um, and we're constantly evolving it. So at the end of the day, we know what the studios need, and we, we, we build to that. But in addition to that, you have to remember something. Um, it used to be whenever there was some sort of breach that would happen in a facility or that would happen on a feature film, it always ended up not even being where you thought it was going to be. It, the breach always happened at somebody's desk who had left a tape out or a DVD or, or something like completely ridiculous. And it's really about 
constantly making sure that the people that you're hiring and the people that have pride in their work and have ethics and, and care about everything that they're doing and are taking every bit of the protocol that you've instituted. And that's what you have to be very careful about every single day on whatever project you're on. I remember my one of my fondest memories of before this whole security thing ever happened. Um, it was a long time ago. It was about 10 years ago. I was working at Modern Video Film and I'll probably get, I don't know, reprimanded somehow. I didn't at the time. But um, things were still pretty easy to get through and act a certain way. But I was working on Avatar. And um, we at Modern had defined what the post-production workflow for Avatar was going to be when it came back for post-finishing. And so um, there was this young kid who was a runner. And I, he had to take the drive across town to Lightstorm. So it was going from Glendale to Santa Monica. And I brought the kid in my office and I said to him, if this does not get here where it needs to go in the time in which it needs to get there, and you do not call me when it's handed off, you will not have a job. You will never work in Hollywood again, because this is the most important thing you will have ever done in your entire career. And I swear that poor kid was freaking out and it got there. And that was the way that I always handled security. <laughs> um, uh, Marcy, I'll stay on you for a second for a question, um, kind of an expansion of something you said before. Um, curious about how people are monitoring shoots now and how, how that's working. And the question was, is, would there be a way for a director or producer to see what is happening on a solo remote shoot? Um, when you say a solo remote shoot, well, with, I, I guess with a, a a very small crew, say, yeah, you know, yeah. that they may not have a video village, they may not have yeah. that kind of infrastructure. Well, that's the whole thing with, let's say you have four stages and you have four things happening on four stages. You can have four rooms within those four stages, four Evercast rooms. You can then put it around as if it's a control room and you can see each room because there's probably cameras sitting on each stage and all those camera and all that stuff is streaming into Evercast and you now have a control room where the director is directing everything in that moment in real time and monitoring exactly what is going on. The other thing that could be really interesting for Evercast and putting it on the set is continuity. Everything that's happening in continuity is people are writing it down. Well, with Evercast, you can record everything that's going on. So at any point, you can go back into the record and, and catch your continuity and make sure you're, you're, you're maintaining continuity, I guess I should say. So, um, and then the other thing is, if you think about a lot of people are talking about virtual production right now and what virtual production is and being able to previs and being able to work in real time in game engines. Same scenario, you're just using different platforms. And I kind of alluded to digi doubles on everything. Very soon, the world will have a digi double of everything. There'll be a digi double of you, Ben. There will be one of you, Bruce. There will be one of you, Marjorie. And you guys will have these digi doubles running around. Right now, when you look at production and the concept of live events, um, and let's say you want to stream that, and let's say you want to even use Evercast to stream that, but you're looking at a stadium that's empty. Well, you don't ever have to look at a stadium that's empty. How many crowd scenes have, have companies created? How many animated crowds can you create? 
So the idea is, is we already have all these tricks. We've already done all these tricks. It's just a matter of pulling them all together and making a cohesive new workflow and bringing in the people who have done it for the many years that we have done it and taking it from each show that we've done it on. So specifically for a smaller shoot, um, you would need um, a tap out of the camera into, would you, you put an encoding box Sorry, got an encode, yeah probably a video capture card i mean honestly i'll let you know in a week because i'm waiting for Ari to get back to me um and i've got a lot of people actually in new york who are testing it on commercials right now so oh, yeah, the great. idea is is i've so what i've done um we so during this whole uh pandemic and getting evercast in line and editorial a lot of the time we were handing out all these free trials and we were saying to people, just try it, see what it's like. Well, during the pandemic and during, during the whole scenario of getting people launched and, and lifted into this new remote collaboration, we stopped all of our trials. And that didn't make me the most popular person in the world, but what I didn't, it was the same lift, right? So I had to get people working quickly and if you're using a trial it didn't make any sense i just wanted everybody as many people as i could get on evercast so i decided you know what i'm going to give trials to the people i don't have use cases for and those trials will go to production so we think we have the editorial and the review and approve process figured out but what is the actual workflow for upstream in production. And so what I did was I gave a handful of licenses to a bunch of camera rental companies, to a bunch of video village companies, to a bunch of production services companies, to a bunch of people, to some DPs. And I said, figure out how to make this work. Production engineer people, people like Glenn Deary, who are a lot smarter than me, to figure out how can Evercast help them and what will look like the new world for production. You know, camera to cloud, and, or a camera to remote storage location has been around probably for 15, 20 years in different forms. And, and whether you're going from set to cloud or whether you're going from set to remote ingest, the goal is to make sure we can do it securely and that we don't mess up the look and the feel of those files. Yeah. And so for, for Bebop, we're very big on, on, on dual systems and having whatever they always do on set, still always on set, but having a syncing always going on. So we're always taking, for instance, the drive, you know, for the DIT and, and duplicating that to the cloud, but trying to be as, as unintrusive and as seamless as we can in working with production. And, and I think none of us, and, and me included, and I used to run a camera company called Iconics Cameras, I don't know how we're gonna deal with social distancing in the next 90 days. But I know that we're gonna to have to use a lot of green screens. I know we're gonna to have to use a lot of facial tracking. I'm sure many of you have seen the articles from Mandalorian about these LCD screens that we're using in the background. I happen to be a partner in a company called Muse Visual Effects, as well as being the CEO of Bebop. And so I live kind of where, where technology and creativity meet. And in the long run, camera in the cloud is actually just creating a, a global ecosystem that starts at camera, starts at animation, starts at the game design, but doesn't finish until it's in the person's home. So making sure that we keep that HDR uh, luminance value consistent throughout that chain 
is a really big deal and really hard to do. And I think we talk a lot about these whiz-bang systems. But honestly, guys, let's make sure that we maintain the quality that we've all taken for granted in these giant facilities. And to do that, we need, we need more than 8-bit, right? We need more than 8-bit to do proper color correction. And to do that, we need a, a, a little more attention to detail in the way we're managing the images. And so I just encourage everyone, when we talk about camera to cloud, to make sure that we do a separate recording for the primary 444 high resolution, great looking image. And we do a proxy, which we can get everybody cutting and working and reviewing right away. And when you look at it that way, that proxy footprint is small enough that you can do real time on set um, review and approval. You can do real time monitoring of production. And these things we've, we've actually done you know, when I, when I was at Technicolor and we were on the Sunset Gower lot, I actually rigged, you know, uh, one of the TV shows we were working on. Marcy knows exactly, you know, has lived through this with me. You know, we had shows coming, shooting down the 100 feet away, and their editors were, were sitting in a room going, okay, I know what I'm doing there. I know what I'm doing there. So it's not the workflows that are being reinvented. It's getting the people ready to do the quality of work that's required and making sure that these pipelines we inflate don't bastardize the signal and don't mess up the quality of that image. That's I've got one, thank you, Bruce. I've got one last clarifying question um, for Marjorie. Now, um, uh, Productions is available on a regular um, uh, premiere license right now, isn't, isn't that yeah. right? It's not, yeah. it's not like a, a, a specific version of it. No, it's not like team projects. Um, it comes standard in uh, premiere it's in the latest release available to the public. Yeah, it's Great. no charge, doesn't require any additional hardware. No, no additional hardware, no additional licensing. Um, it, it's a seamless integration to these from the Adobe yeah. Premiere experience. Yeah. And just quickly, um, Bruce, I'm getting a lot of questions about Avid. Um, do you still have Avid support? Can you talk about that for a second? I'm happy to speak to that. So uh, be, I'm friends with Jeff Rosica. I'm a big fan of Avid. I was one of the first Myself and Larry Klinghoff, I believe we're the first Avid reseller in the world. So it means a lot to me. And I'm uh, unfortunately going to share with you that Bebop doesn't carry Avid anymore. Last year in, at NAB, when there was still an NAB going on, we announced that we were partners with Avid and we were deploying Avid. And uh, in the 12 months that have ensued, we have parted ways. And Bebop now is pretty much an Adobe, uh, full Adobe customer and partner. And at Avid today is only available through the cloud on their Avid um, on-demand solution. And, and if you're interested in Avid, I encourage you to try that. It certainly is a different experience than you get on Bebop. And, you know, we're very proud of the software that we've developed over the five years that, that allows you to collaborate and upload for free, all that stuff. So you'll see some of those things in the Avid solution. We were partners for several years. But today, Bebop does not offer Avid, and I say that with regret. And I send a, I said, please call your senators and tell them, call Jeff Rosick and say, I want Avid, I'm Bebop. Thank you. I'd like to thank um, our speakers, Marjorie, Marcy, and Bruce. Thank you very much. I hope that everyone's found this to be a fascinating, as fascinating a conversation as I have found it. Um, I love this stuff, of course. So, um, and I hope that, um, you know, for the viewers out there, you have some ideas and really this isn't meant to be an exhaustive kind of, you could go away and build it yourself this afternoon, but um, to give you some leads, um, the company websites, um, uh, probably the best um, uh, place to um, uh, get more information. 
Next week, um, I'm going to jump in here and say next week's topic is Ask Us Anything, a discussion on the changes to New York's post-production tax credit uh, with Trevana Post, the Empire State Development Corporation and the third party tax credit audit auditors, moderated by Yana Collins-Lehman. Um, thank you very much to our speakers. Thank you very much to the Post Alliance for having us. Uh, my name is Ben Baker. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye.